Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and the Best Actress Oscar campaign for Michelle Yeoh begins today. Joining me is Jeff Kanata. Of all the possible permutations of this moment, I find myself here with these two idiots. (laughs) And returning from a multi-week break after he and his wife just had a baby, Devendra Hardawar, welcome back. Woo-hoo! I always knew Michelle Yeoh would punch me in the face with the meaning of life. I knew it. <laughs> welcome back, Devendra Hardawar. Thank you. Yay! Yay! Congratulations! Woo-hoo! Thank you. Great to be back. So, Devendra, what happened, man? What uh, happened? What happened? Well, Dave, when a man yeah. and a woman love each other very much, a baby is delivered. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's fun. we. It was a crazy time. It was a crazy, crazy time, and uh, I think we had issues with the hospital we had in New York uh, for my daughter. But down here in Georgia, it was like another just set of weirdness. Like we basically, um, the plan was for me to take two weeks off, and we kind of knew we had like an inducement inducing date of uh, March, uh, April fourth. So we kind of were preparing for the baby to arrive then. Uh, On Saturday, my wife started feeling like, okay, something is happening. We should go to the hospital. She spent um, four or five hours there at the hospital. And they're like, "Uh, something's happening, but not enough is happening. (laughs) Right? Even though she's in extreme pain. So we're like, okay. So I bring her back home. Two hours later... (laughs) Oh it God. seems like her water actually broke and uh, we, I rushed to the hospital. So it was like movie, movie moment of me just like, okay, we're, we're going the minivan. We're just going to go really, really fast through these highways. And uh, Georgia traffic, of course, gets in the way and yada, yada, yada. Um, the, the baby, if we were 10 or 15 minutes late to the hospital, the baby could have arrived in the car because wow. the hospital sent my wife home. So uh yeah i'm gonna be giving them a lot of feedback and i'm gonna leave a strongly worded (laughs) google review it's uh because it it is ridiculous apparently there is this policy where the if the contractions aren't fast enough they're like uh see ya Uh, hope it works out come back when there's more and uh you you know and for a lot of people that could be really really dangerous so that was not great. Um, there was also a hospital that had a McDonald's in their cafeteria, which really gave me pause. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. A lot wow. of like idiocracy moments going Very, on there. McDonald's discriminating there, but I you, mean, you could get yeah. salads, Devendra. You know, you can get salads at McDonald's. You can. My wife could not get a, a salad or anything non dairy at this hospital. So it, it was all a crazy thing. That experience of driving my wife, you know, to the hospital where she was essentially in labor. I was like, okay, I just I'm gonna have to be a bad driver right now. So I'm you know going fast. I'm cutting people off. Uh, it did make me think uh, there should be like you know a special a special lane. For people who are just like, I got to get to the hospital right now. Okay. I, I may be breaking some laws here because uh, things could go bad because the hospital sent us home. Um, so, yeah, that was fun. And then the baby arrived about, um, we got to the hospital room. My wife was in extreme pain. 20 minutes later, a baby was there. Wow. So that's what happened. Yeah. Wow. Well, at least there yeah. wasn't a lot of waiting around, you know? Not, not a lot of waiting around. For sure. And uh, yeah, baby Alexander 
is uh, doing really well. He's really he's a good baby. He is not crying too much. Uh, he is not sleeping at night, but you know, b- babies uh, take a while babies. to figure that out. My daughter was a much much more difficult thing. So it is funny how the second kid is just like, well, okay, we kind of know how this works. You know, we're we're just kind of fitting the baby into our flow. Whereas the first kid is, oh my god, your <laughs> life is just done. Like everything is different. You have to learn how to live and how to like sleep and how, how to like do things. Whereas now, like we we have we we have a good flow. It's not that great because well, your my life is already really done. You yeah, already right. know your life is over. So You're there's just no adjustment adding, period. Adding into it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Sophia loves her her baby brother, and uh, it's going mm. good so far. He's healthy. Um, yeah, it's great. It's it's great. I just wish uh, this country had better health infrastructure, and I I, I wish for a lot of things right mm-hmm. now because it, it unless you can afford to have a night nurse or like help during the day, it is incredibly difficult. And all this stuff also makes me feel uh, even more um, I don't know more astonished at like what single parents can do. So it's, it, it's hard it out there, folks. Uh, be be kind to parents. Be kind to pandemic parents because. I, this is this is like um, probably even worse than like what uh, the grandparent or great grandparent generations face, like going through the depression, because it's just like we're living with this for a very long time. You know, like we don't know when this is going to end. Um, we are seeing society be very stupid around us. Uh, mil- over a million people in the U.S. have died and it, it continues to be very, very bad. Um, parents have it really rough right now, folks. So just be kind to each other and be, be especially kind to anybody with young kids because they are going insane. They're, they're barely holding it together, folks. That's my takeaway. Truth. Yeah. Was there any consideration of naming him Ronald? (laughs) Yeah, that would have been, that would have been something. You know, in honor of the McDonald's. In honor of the McDonald's and uh, the the inability to find any healthy food at this hospital. Uh, my wife was like, no dairy, please. And they're like, okay, the sandwich has cheese in it. That's okay, right? <laughs> it reminds yeah. me of, uh, yeah. honestly, I talked about this. I didn't bring this up when I brought it up like a couple weeks ago, but uh, Jackass Forever. I watched uh-huh. Jackass Forever, which is, you know, uh, a lot of fun. And they had like COVID compliance specialists on site. <laughs> Uh, so it's like, hey, we're about to like take a mallet and smash a guy in the testicles, but like, make sure he's wearing a mask, you know? Like, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm yeah. joking. I, I mean, I am, I am actually legitimately glad they did take COVID seriously because you know you can mm-hmm. transmit COVID to other people. I, I have family who do that job, so it is, it is a thankless task because everybody hates you. Yeah, in yeah, the yeah, production. Yeah, no, no, I, I am legitimately grateful, but it's just funny. The mallet. It, yeah. It's just, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny, like the juxtaposition of they're about to do extremely harmful things to each other, but also safety, um, everyone, safety first safety, safety first. first you know yeah. so well Devinder, we're really glad to have you back um yes. thank you glad uh you made it to the hospital in time and um we're also grateful uh caroline took over for you a couple weeks while yeah you she was great she did a great job um but uh yeah well I, I feel i need to send her like a bouquet or something like i'm <laughs> i'm sorry for morbius at, at the very <laughs> least i'm so sorry did you i don't mean to go back to this closed mm-hmm, topic mm-hmm. but did you uh Obviously, you may not have um, realized how quickly the kid was going to come until after you yeah. arrived at the hospital. But yeah. was there a part of you that was running through the scenario of the baby arriving in the car as you were driving? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I was also well, fighting traffic and everything. I was like, uh, I don't know. We yeah. just pull over and call the cops. 
You know, like that's yeah. what else can you do? Cops have dealt with this. It, it is in New York. It's not, it wasn't like a very uncommon thing. Like cab babies happen in cabs all the time because of traffic, because it's really hard to get around. So it was a thing that happened. You would hear those stories all the time. Um, I really, I am still like very angry that that almost happened because of just sheer stupidity and neglect from this hospital. And also from like, I'm just also really angry at Georgia's infrastructure. That highway had several exits closed and like really no contingency to move people through nicely. So, you know, there's just a lot of rage going on right now, but uh, the baby's happy and healthy. And that's, that's all I care about at this point. Awesome. Yeah. That's the most important part. And it's wonderful that that mom and baby are doing well. Yep. Uh, yeah. As somebody who who just started going to Atlanta every weekend, yeah, uh, it's I bad. Am very. Surprised. It's like you're back in LA, man. It's, it's traffic wise crazy. It's crazy the amount of traffic there all the time. Like it is like LA. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. There there are stories I hear. I think uh, Paul Shear was talking about this at one point. But like uh, he was in the city, like when uh, they shut down for Baby Driver, and basically it's like the entire city hated Edgar Wright at that point because <laughs> it's like. It was like a a pretty a pretty important part that a pretty important highway that they had to like shut down and reshoot and do stuff. So it it affected the entire city's flow of traffic. It was incredible. Well, you were mentioning Morbius, Devendra, and um, yeah. today possibly I, I'm not gonna I'm not joking when I say this. This is one of the best tweets about film that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I, I didn't write this. This is not self-promotional. Like, <laughs> Variety tweeted this tweet today. And it is, it's like, I want to frame this and put it in a museum, okay? Uh, quote, Morbius drew $10.2 million at the box office this weekend, a catastrophic 74% drop from its opening. Considering dismal reviews and poor word of mouth, the auspicious season that some fans have deemed the summer of Morbius may no longer be within reach, end quote. Who? Who Every single sentence in that tweet is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Every single sentence. Bodied. Bodied in a tweet. Guys, this was supposed to be the summer of Morbius. Yeah. Dr. Morbius, right? This was supposed to be the summer. It is fascinating, you know, that Morbius is like this super memed thing uh, online. Like a lot of people are talking about Morbius, even though no one I know actually wants to see it. And uh, the summer of Morbius has, has slipped away from all of our grasps, yeah. gentlemen. It, it is sort of like the the joke about Avatar, except it's actually true, right? Like, it was <laughs> never relevant. They made this movie. They spent millions of dollars making this movie. Like, hey, guys, Morbius! <laughs> you miss Morbius? The living vampire? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody cared. <laughs> I'm sorry you guys had to review that. Well, so, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the the funnier thing is that the whole movie is positioned as the beginning. It's it's the yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, dark yeah. universe uh, all over again. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> I just wanted wanted to point that out. And and speaking of other uh, film follow up news, we've talked in, uh, for a couple weeks about the the slap. Just talked a little bit about it. Just wanted to give one final update. I don't think we're going to discuss this again. But Will Smith was banned from the Academy for ten years. Um, that was the that was the final punishment. Was He's been from the Academy for 10 years. Yeah. And, um, you know, some people think it's too harsh. Some people think it's not harsh, harsh enough. I think what is clear is that this is kind of a deterrent uh, from the Academy that, like, some, you know, person, some two-bit, you know, D- uh, D-list celebrity looking for 15 minutes of fame can't hop on stage and be an asshole 
at the yeah. Oscars next year uh, without you, you guys. I was disconnected for a couple of weeks. Yes. Uh, you mean to tell me Will Smith did something? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering. Yeah, did you did you like hear about that? Because you were like off the grid. Yeah, no, maybe? no. I I saw the tweets. I saw yeah. the tweets. I mean, it was the day after Baby had arrived too. It was like, what a week to yeah, be away crazy. from the discourse. Guys. Yeah, well, you, you, the day after you have a baby, you're like in a time warp. Yeah. Time is meaningless. All things are strange. And then to have the world kind of go topsy turvy like that must have been very disorienting. It was uh, it was very strange. I was ba- I was watching the Oscars via Twitter basically, so because <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get the feed going. So yeah. Uh, well, as, as so- far as this ten year ban goes, uh, I think I don't know if either of you saw uh, Saturday Night Live's weekend update. I think had a chef's kiss joke about this, which was, uh, you know, a lot of people were pointing out like, you know, banning from the Oscar ceremony because he's not banned from going to parties. He's not banned from being nominated or winning. He can still nominate, get nominated and or win, you know? Yeah, he He just can't come to the ceremony. So a lot of people were pointing out that, you know, that's So what's the punishment part of this, basically? Yeah, well, the the great uh, (laughs) SNL joke was if they really wanted to punish him, they should have made him host it next year exactly yeah yeah such a great joke yeah um so perfect man man um what do you guys think of uh 10 years when i when i heard 10 years i was a little bit stunned at the length of the time no no universe where that holds up no universe where that stands really no mark my words (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. half that time won't happen yeah i think it's possible that it's extremely possible that the Oscars will no longer be televised. <laughs> well, oh yeah. As we're all uh, scrounging for moisture in the uh, yeah. desolate wasteland <laughs> that we live in. Slapped we'll like, out of existence. Two more years until Will Smith can return to the ceremony, everybody. <laughs> but seriously, My question, like, uh, what was Chris Rock's punishment for that joke? <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, it was a slap, right? Yeah, he, he has not yeah. talked about it publicly yet. Yeah, uh, yeah. He said basically, I'm not talking about it till people pay me. Um, sure, so this is I... the best thing to ever happen to Chris Rock. So, <laughs> yeah, a light slap from Will Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Can, I that whole thing. Like, let me let me just say this, guys. <laughs> yes, Jimmy, let G- it out. Let it out. You've a been GI Jane joke in 2022. <laughs> You, sir, go to jail. You should be in jail just for that, like before the slap, you know? Um, but that, yeah, that was no, what made it so silly. remarkable, too. You know, it's amazing. That, amazing. It was, is that the stakes of the joke was a G.I. Jane joke, right? It was. Yeah. Um, and by the way, they had just finished shitting on Ridley Scott's The Last Duel in yeah. the ceremony as well. Yep. yep. It's like, dude, God, pay, show some respect to Ridley Scott in addition to Jada Pinkett Smith, you know, like Ridley Scott as well. Yeah. If anybody should be slapping people. Ridley Scott. <laughs> anyway, I, I I firmly believe like we have no idea like the world is going to be an entirely different place in ten years. Jeff, you're you're predicting um, it's not going to last ten years. I think you're. I think it's very possible. Yeah. You're right. Like I don't think it's going to last five years. I also don't think the world will last for ten years. So, you know, <laughs> says the person who just, the person who just had a baby. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Yep. Well, anyway. We got a great show for you folks tonight. <laughs> we got some what we've been watching, some weekly plugs, and then if everything goes right, we're going to have the great Walter Chaw joining us for our review of Everything Everywhere All at Once. So uh, stay tuned for that. Thanks for joining, and uh, let us begin. You know what, Dave? 
We're not going to begin just yet. You know why? Because I need to tell you about our sponsor, NordVPN. If you're not using a VPN, I guess you just want your data to be snooped on by snoops, by snoopy snoops and criminals. Yeah, no, NordVPN shields your IP address and secures your online traffic with state-of-the-art encryption. You can safely listen to podcasts like this one that Dave says has begun or begins now. It hasn't begun yet. And you can stream shows or simply browse the internet in complete privacy, and it can secure every single device you own. NordVPN apps are available for all the major operating systems, including Windows, Mac OS, Linux, Android, and iOS. And you can connect up to six devices separately with just one subscription, or simply set up NordVPN on your router to protect the whole household. You also want to protect yourself on public Wi-Fi. If you're catching up on podcasts using the hotel's Wi-Fi or some coffee shop's Wi-Fi, and make sure you're the only one listening. Due to shoddy security, snoops, snoopy snoops and criminals, they can break into public Wi-Fi networks easy as peasy pie. Spy on your data because they're snoops unless you encrypt it first with Nord VPN. Plus, you can watch shows, shows from abroad or when you're abroad, you can watch shows. You can connect to a NordVPN server in your home country and safely enjoy content as if you never left wherever you travel. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com filmcast or use the code filmcast to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free plus... A bonus gift! It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. All right, Dave, now we can start. <laughs> so, uh, what we've been watching this week, folks, I had a wait chance a minute, to... Wait a minute. <laughs> Let us begin... Was the was the pitch to commercial? That was the pitch to commercial is Let Us Begin? Yes, that was... <laughs> I mean, Jeff, if you're uh, if you're uh, a patron, you're not getting ads. No, I see. At patreon.com slash film podcast. So that would have been completely seamless if not for your interruption just now. I see. So you're really you're just playing to the patrons. I'm playing to the patrons. Which is understandable. If if you're a uh, non-patron listener, then you just heard me say, let us begin followed by an ad, right? (laughs) Followed by my voice, probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So thank you. Thank you for that. I mean, and I think that would have been okay, too. Like, the ad kind of kicks it off in some ways. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to record the... I haven't recorded the ads yet. I'm going to record the ad acknowledging <laughs> that you just said, let us begin. Yes. No, I think that's the right move here. Y- yes, Dave. But, let let us begin. But, <laughs> but speaking of... Speaking of ads, um, speaking of uh, product placement, Michael Bay's Ambulance, movie I watched okay. this week. Uh, now... I got to say, this movie kind of bombed at the box office. It only made yeah. $8 million. And it's kind of a bummer when a like kind of old school action movie that's directed by Michael Bay, who actually mm-hmm. does a pretty competent job with this one. I kind of I want to see it. Yeah. yeah. When a movie like this can't do that well. Like, that is a bummer, right? Well, um, it's it, they put it out during the summer of Morbius. <laughs> so I don't know what they expected. <laughs> This movie cost forty million dollars. I'm not joking. It looks like it cost a hundred million dollars. Like wow, that's it, awesome. He Michael Bay still knows how to direct action. The movie is complete, absolute batshit nonsense. 
Um, the dialogue is nonsensical. It makes absolutely no sense. But I would argue it is one of the wokest Michael Phil- Michael Bay films ever. <laughs> Isaac Gonzalez <laughs> stars as a, a medic, and the mo- the camera does not leer at her a single time during the entire film, which is a huge positive for a Michael Bay film. Uh, That's movie- growth. That's personal growth. Oh, personal Michael- growth. Yeah, you got the memo. Yeah. You got the memo. Um. Arguably, the movie is for Medicare for All, which is strange coming from from the guy who uh, made 13 Hours in Benghazi or whatever the heck that movie was. Um, And, you know, this is a movie where (laughs) I'm not joking. Michael Bay made a Bernie bro as a movie. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. I I mean, I'm not saying that it's uh, particularly coherent in any way. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying it's even a good Bernie. But it is. I mean, did did you miss the the scene in the last Transformers, Dave, where Optimus Prime just sat down and said, "I'm here to talk to you about the American healthcare system. (laughs) I'm here to talk to you about the American healthcare system." I did miss that. Autobots, sign up for healthcare. (laughs) Here's what I've learned tonight: you guys both do a pretty good Optimus impression. Nicely done. Uh, uh, this, I mean, do you guys know the plot? Jeff, do you know the plot of this movie? Can I say it? Do you care about that? Some ambulance drivers want to rob a bank, I think, or something? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's these bank robbers that rob a bank, and then they basically are trying to get out of there, and they get into an ambulance. And the premise is that there is a a paramedic, played by Isaac Gonzalez, and also uh, a cop that they have, like, taken hostage, basically, who is... uh, conveniently goes into cardiac arrest at random times throughout the movie to generate tension, right? And the entire time they're being uh, pursued by like fleets of cop cars, fetishistically large groups of cop cars, basically. Mm. Um, And uh, I I really enjoyed this movie. It is completely ridiculous over the top. Uh, There's like nonsense decisions made left and right. Like why did they do X? Why did they do Y? Um, but it is probably Michael Bay's best film since Pain and Grain or The Rock. Like, if Michael Bay's going to make more movies, I want him to make more movies like this, not like mm-hmm. the Transformers, you know? I want it to be, like, fairly grounded, fairly low budget, um, with, like, discrete, interesting, contained Bayhem. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what this movie delivers. I had a great time with did it. You, did yeah. you hear or read the interview about his regrets about the Transformers Yeah, he's movies? like, Steven Spielberg told him, you should yeah. stop making those movies. And he's like, you know, I think I probably made one too many of those movies, right? How, how many? Were there five? I think or it was five. I think it was five movies. Too many. Yeah. Too many Transformers. Yeah. You, you know, I think I think it's possible in a future segment on this podcast or the After Dark, we might talk about how we lost out on decades <laughs> of an actor's work. And I feel like... The same goes for Michael Bay. We've lost like a decade and a half of Michael Bay action movies to Transformers movies. And that's kind mm-hmm, of a bummer. It's mm-hmm. kind of a bummer. I love the idea of Steven Spielberg sitting down with Michael Bay and being like, hey, I'm producing these. Yeah. My name I, is on it. I, you know? I, I, I really don't think these movies are terrible. I don't think you should make them anymore. Yeah, I, I'm cashing the checks. I'm still, pre- <laughs> we're going to make more of them, but you really need to distance yourself from this. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, there are some pretty awesome action shots, uh, action sequences in this movie, and also um, a ton, a ton of first-person 
uh, like FPV drone footage, like mm-hmm. first person perspective drone footage, to the point where it's like ridiculous. Like he's reusing, sh- like he's showing the same shot over and over again just because it uses a drone. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you'll see a shot. You'll see it from a drone perspective. Then you'll see it from regular perspective. Then you'll see it from that exact same drone perspective again. He likes his toys. He likes his toys. And he's discovered a new one. It's called FPV drones. Doesn't it feel like he made this movie in like a weekend? I mean, this is probably one of his lowest budget movies ever. But Mm -hmm. I'm being serious. Like this is a movie that's way better than Six Underground, a movie that no one remembers on Netflix. You know, it's uh, a movie that's better than any of the Transformers movies. It's probably up there with Pain and Gain. It's his best movie since The Rock. Um, mm-hmm. And so wow. I really liked it. I liked it. I think you'll have fun if you like that kind of thing. And it's also one of Michael Bay's least offensive movies, you know, um, which is not to say it's not offensive. It's still pretty <laughs> offensive. It's still pretty outrageous, you know. But it, when this like appears on HBO Max or it comes onto TNT on TV, you know, six months from now, you're going to sit down. You're going to start watching it. You're not going to be able to stop. I, yeah, that's what I'm I looking forward to that. Yeah. So. That's Ambulance. It's out in theaters right now. And if you like Michael Bay action films, you should check it out. Um, There's a bunch of other stuff that I watch that I'm going to talk about when you guys get to your parts of what we've been watching. But I do want to give two quick shout outs. Um, One of them is that Better Call Saul Season 5 just hit Netflix in advance of Better Call Saul Season 6 starting on AMC. Um, Better Call Saul Season 6 is starting on April 18th. This is my most anticipated show of the year. This is yeah. my Super Bowl, other than the Oscars, which I also said were my Super Bowl. Um, this is a thing that I'm looking forward to more than Game of Thrones prequel. I'm looking forward to this more than Lord of the Rings. Uh, I am really psyched about Better Call Saul returning. And if you want to catch up, you can watch all five seasons of the show uh, previous to now on Netflix. So, I Jeff, during a previous After Dark, you mentioned you yes. might uh, take some of these on your on your plane flights to Atlanta with you. Yes. Is, that, is that a thing that might happen? Indeed it is. Uh, right. I, although my wife has expressed a desire to watch with me. So that means that the whole process is going to get slowed down. Yeah. All right. So Better Call Saul is going to air seven episodes and then two month break. And then the remaining seven in July, starting in July. So Jeff, is you this have the a, last season. Yeah, this is the final season. So huh. Jeff, you have some time to catch up. You have until July to catch up. So I, it's, it's on the docket. I also wanted to point out that one of my favorite Gangster series of gangster films is available on Prime Video. The oh. Pusher Trilogy. Nice. Nicholas Winding Refn's films. Uh, this is why Nicholas Winding Refn's a big deal, is because mm-hmm. of these movies. Uh, you may not like his other movies, you may not like his other work, but these movies put him on the map and they are amazing. Um, and it's rare to see these on a streaming service. And so I would suggest, you, if you have a chance, check these movies out. The Pusher Trilogy. Uh, Pusher 1, Pusher 2, Pusher 3. Uh, Pusher 2 is called, I think, uh, With Blood on My Hands, and Pusher 3 is uh, The Angel of Death, I think. Um, mm-hmm. These three movies are all on, on Prime Video. They're all awesome. Yeah, I'd recommend Great you Great showcase for Mads Mikkelsen, if you're a fan. Yeah. You want to see yeah, his original yeah. stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. Jeff, have you, Devinger, have you seen all three films? I've not seen all three. I saw the first two, though. Yeah, yeah the first two are incredible. And yeah. the third one is also very, very good. Jeff, you have you heard of these? I've heard of them. I have not seen any of them. I would strongly suggest you check out. They, they're really, yeah. really good. Anyway, all okay. right. The Pusher Trilogy, uh, that's something I'd recommend you watch. Uh, you said it's streaming where? On Prime Video. Prime Video. Prime Video. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Devendra, hit us with a couple of things you've been watching, man. Sure. Well, so the good thing 
about having a newborn is that once once you're done with the whole like uh birthing process and whatnot, <laughs> uh you just have this little creature that just needs to eat every two hours. So you're stuck like just taking care of this thing, like making sure it's still breathing, you're getting food, and it's it's great great time for binge watching. So I have been able to catch up on quite a, quite a few things, thankfully. Um, I have finished The Dropout, which just had its uh, season finale, I think, last week or this week. And uh have to say, Dave, this show is incredible. Like, you were, you were, like, I think, like, hemming and hawing or, like, I know, I remember you had issues about um, how it was portraying Elizabeth Holmes. Yes. And to your credit, to your credit, like, that was all happening in the first few episodes, which are all focus on her like school life and early right, life her and background kind of, and like explaining yeah. why she got to the situation yes yes, she yes. Got to, yeah, yeah but how once, she became a liar yeah how she yeah. became a liar yeah um once this show like gets going i i thought like even the early episodes were great you know like uh, casting is great uh amanda seyfried who is awesome in everything to be honest like i don't think we talk enough about how talented she is like whenever she pops up in anything i'm i'm all all game for her um is fantastic here. Naveen Andrews, as much as I think uh, Sonny Balwani got an, a very, very like uh, lucky glow up by being uh, played by Naveen Andrews, I think he does incredible work in the show. And about halfway through, or at least the point where this the lie really starts to build on itself about Theranos, um, that's when it gets into like, oh yeah, no, she's she she's just not great. She's not <laughs> not a good person. She's mm-hmm. like a serial liar who has built this thing. And the entire, um, you know, the entire company exists to perpetuate this lie, right? And everybody around her is supporting the lie because they benefit from it financially or something. And I found this show just fascinating to watch in particular because um, I get that. I, I know what it is to be in like in the maelstrom of this, when everybody's talking about a hot new company, like I, I've never written about Theranos, but it was certainly in the, in the like things that people around me were talking about and Gadget yeah. has covered it. Other sites have the thing you, you about, you kind of these, get the mania that surrounds something yeah, like this. Yeah. yeah. And it's crazy. Silicon Valley is insane guys. And I think what this show captures that madness, like the cult like mentality of a lot of these startups who think they're trying to change the world. And some of some of them end up having like huge impacts. Right. Um, but a lot of them are just like selling this lie, right. Selling this lie um, to make themselves seem self-important um, or, or I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a founder thing or whatnot, but there was something in the water in Silicon Valley. And certainly when I was covering startups, I would hear this sort of like cult like mantra around a lot of companies and Theranos was one of them. So this show at times, like I think it starts out really funny to be honest. Like it's really entertaining to watch. Um, it's a great character study of a serial liar. And Amanda Seyfried does a great job of just portraying Elizabeth Holmes. Um, but the mania around how these things can exist and, you know, millions of dollars being uh, thrown at these companies valuations into the billions based on nothing. I think Theranos is the best example of like, yeah, just how crazy the tech world has gotten. Uh, It's biotech. So it's kind of like within that wheelhouse of big tech companies right now. Um, I I found like, I just found a lot to really take away from that. So I think it's, it's worth a watch. It is excellent. The finale has some of like all time great work from these people. Like Naveen Andrews has a scene in the finale that 
blew me away. There is incredible work happening here. Um, I think it's actually a great companion to the Alex Gibney documentary that we've talked about before because that one was very much a documentary in the sense that I, I think Gibney has this like, he has a, this production farm. Basically, he has like a huge studio in New York where he is just juggling several documentaries uh, documentaries at once. People are doing research. Uh, you know, he's putting things together. A lot of projects are happening at once. And I, as much as I liked his movie, it didn't really tell me anything new, right? It didn't give me any real insight into Elizabeth Holmes. I feel like the show at least attempts to do it. It feels well-researched. Um, I think Elizabeth Merriweather like, did a great job of like putting some sort of humanity to this character. And uh, you know, I, I think it's, I, I enjoy seeing her succeed too. Like she's the creative new girl, which was a great show. Um, she's a writer who I want to see uh, doing uh, you know, great work like this. So yeah, I, I dig it. I wholly recommend it. Uh, I will not be watching any of the other startup shows happening right now. Like I don't, I don't care about WeWork. I don't care about Uber. Like, not really. I may I may watch an episode or two just to compare, but this one feels like this is a show that exists for a purpose to mm. tell us like why this entire industry can do this, you know, and a lot of it comes down to the money people wanting to believe the lie. Mm. And they all benefit from it. And in many ways that's defined our culture right now. So yeah, this show's excellent. Give it a shot. All right. Well, that is the dropout, and it's airing right now on Hulu. Hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, StoryWorth. You know, I love my mom. I have a great relationship with my mom. And I thought I knew my mom until I got her StoryWorth. And then I realized she has so many stories I've never heard before. So many parts of her life I just never knew to ask about. But I got her StoryWorth. It's been, I think, two years ago now, Mother's Day. And it what a treasure trove of information, both for me and for my kids, her grandkids. Let me tell you what it is. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones connect through shared stories and memories. And it also preserves them for years to come. Every single week, StoryWorth emails your mom a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt Asks questions you never thought to ask, like, what's some of the best advice your mother gave you? Or, if you were to do it all over, what would you do differently? And then I got to read my mom's responses. She took so much time thinking about them, putting time into answering those emails. And I got to read her responses and learn things I never heard about. It was amazing. And then after a year... StoryWorth compiles all those questions and stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that I can pass on to my kids and that we can always have my mom's stories in her own words. Give all the moms in your life a meaningful gift you'll both cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you'll save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash filmcast. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash filmcast. Devendra, what else have you been watching? I've been making my way through Pachinko, the Apple TV Plus series, uh, based on, it's an adaptation of Min Jin Lee's novel. 
And uh, the show also incredible. Like I, I am having some really good luck with binge watching right now, guys. Um, this I've is heard this a, is great. I've heard this is amazing. This I just show is around to it. Yeah. gobstockingly like gobstoppingly great. It is, uh, it is sort of like a multi generational family tale um, about a Korean immigrant family. It starts in Korea during the, Jap- the Japanese occupation time. Follows um, a young girl like through her time there, and as she moves to Japan. Uh, there's also like a uh, another storyline set in the 80s uh, based on that girl's grandson who is working for a bank in the U.S. and has to go back to Tokyo and do some work. And it is very much about Korean identity and what this family is going through and kind of what the Korean people felt like as they were occupied by Japan, as they tried to as people have tried to make lives for themselves in Japan. And that was a country that just did not want them there. You know, uh, Korean people in Japan were and still are very much looked down upon. So it explores all of that, but it's also like a beautiful romantic story too. And it's a beautiful story about um, like immigrants, about the the diff- how impossible it is to, especially, you know, nearly a hundred years ago or 50 years ago, how hard it was to transplant your life to another country and potentially another country where everybody hates you. You know, I think it's uh, deeply moving. Um, uh, the first three episodes are directed by Kogonada. This show also has w- an all-time great opening sequence. Just like it is so pitch perfect. It is so full of joy um, and exuberance and tries to tell us a little bit about the story of this family. But really, it's just it's just pure energy. Like, just go watch that opening, guys, to like get a dose of like what this show is doing. That it's sort of like the dance sequence that opens up uh, after Yang. That that that, that vibe mm. never really hits the rest of the show, but it is really interesting that every episode begins with that because it really wants to, it really wants to like celebrate these people and the joy of this family. So go go just go look at that opening on YouTube and go watch the series. It, it is also funny to me that. These three episodes, this is like the highest budget thing Coconata has ever worked on. It's a TV series. It's just kind of wild to me. It's it's a gorgeous looking show. Um, it doesn't really look like any of his movies. Like, I, I think he's just like, he's doing great work here. So check it out. Um, it feels very novelistic. You, you can tell it's adapted from a sprawling, you know, epic sort of novel. Uh, but it's a uh, very bingeable very watchable and uh, deeply moving. So check out Pachinko. Pachinko is on Apple TV Plus. Speaking of Apple TV Plus, Devinger, you got on the Severance Train? I did get on the Severance Train, and I uh, I exited the Severance Train. Have you guys finished this show yet? I have not. I was going about to take my ear pieces out because I'm, I'm very excited to. <laughs> Why don't we, I'm not. I'm not going to spoil anything. Yeah. How? How? Yeah. Jeff, how far into it are you? Do you? Do you how, how very, many episodes? Not very far at all. I, I, we, I, we should. We should do a wrap up of this show. If yeah, yeah, yeah if I you, really want to. If you can catch up next week, maybe we could do it, Jeff. But yeah, um, I think I can actually. Okay. Well, but, so, let's be yeah. brief about it then, Devendra. But brief about it, other than to say, boy, boy, did they nail the landing? Yes. For this, they one. stuck yeah, the landing I, on this. I'm so one. excited. Yeah, they stuck the landing. It was yeah one of the best season one finales of all time. I would argue. Um, incredible work, incredible, work. incredible work. So, like yeah. it, it is, it is partially a mystery box show, but I, I think like everything they built up is just like, they have really, uh, made us invest in these characters. And I think the season ends in a, in a really, really fascinating way. So, yeah. so uh, we'll try, the, we'll try to do an after yeah. dark about it, but yeah. Severance season one, it's an Apple TV plus it's incredible. It's like one of the best I, 
season yeah. one debuts of a show ever. So from yeah. a writer who, from Dan Erickson, a writer who has no other projects to his name. Like this was one of his first uh, scripts that's been picked up. And man, I, I did an interview with him on the Engadget podcast several weeks ago. I think two weeks ago, right before the baby stuff happened. So uh, you could check that out. Uh, he is a very, very interesting guy. But man, I am, I am just so happy. I'm happy when a show that's this intriguing and mysterious actually like gets it done and keeps you know keeps it going till the end so yeah dig it all the way cool um and davindra you also had a chance to see moon knight right i did what'd you think of moon knight (laughs) i saw the moon knight it's fine (laughs) it's it's perfectly fine it's kind of a baffling show isn't it like i feel like (laughs) it would have been it would have been better served being like maybe a two hour premiere or a two episode premiere because the the pilot episode is just like Oscar Isaac running away from things and me not understanding like who that character is or what he's doing. And I understand that's part of the point of the show. And uh, yeah, by the end of the po- pilot, they're like, he's Moon Knight, guys. <laughs> Everybody, he's who you've been waiting for. Moon Knight. <laughs> Jeff, are you enjoying the show more? I'm loving it. Yeah, I love. I, th- it. I think the first episode was just super weak. Uh, the I second, the super, yeah, I thought the first. I think the first. The... Everything I've heard is that the first episode is the strongest. So. The first episode is. I don't phenomenal. Yeah. I, 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 I thought. Okay. I thought. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know. Anyway, Devinger, let's talk about something that you that you like. What I assume you like, uh-huh. Tokyo Vice on HBO Max. I, I I really like it. I like it a lot. Two, this is Michael Mann directed series on HBO Max, I, right? Uh, yeah. I could barely get through the first episode of this. Oh my go god! Uh, <laughs> wow. I mean, but th- that's that's a difference in vibe, right? Whereas yeah. I feel like Moon Knight is like, eh, guys, comic shit, Oscar Isaac, like uh, the mysterious powers will be involved here somehow. Uh, Tokyo Vice is very much like Michael Mann type shit. He only directed the pilot, so I will say that. Like he is, he's a producer. He directed the pilot. He's not the showrunner or creator of the show. Um, this show's about uh, a Western journalist, an American journalist who is in Tokyo uh, trying to cover uh, crime in Japan. And I'm really digging this. Like, I, it is it is a very specific vibe. And I think a very, it's very much like a Michael Mann type vibe. It's sort of like The Insider meets Miami Vice at times, except it's set in Tokyo. And I really dig all of that like there is very much about the process of journalism in japan which is kind of batshit like just kind of crazy in terms of how like guys you just report what the police say like that's it that's that's your job and the crushing um i mean like, there's a lot yeah. of that in the u.s too yeah yeah draft, but yeah it, it turns out but uh not questioning anything you know like there, there is a certain like um rigidity to the journalism, at least as it's presented here. And I, I have friends in Japan who've like, who've talked about this as well, who've worked with, or, you know, alongside some major papers. And it's a tough place. Like people, you talk about things in one way, crime is reported in a very specific way because, uh, uh Japanese, uh, police and politicians really don't want to say that, uh, murders, and, you know, really, really violent things are happening too. So a lot of things get downplayed. Um, anyway, this show is very much about this uh, one guy played by Ansel Elgort who is trying to get in, like, you know, uh, start at a major newspaper, explore the underworld, um, try to see what's going on with the, you know, the crime bosses and everything in Tokyo. And I, it is a very specific vibe. It is not like, it is not like as accessible as something like Moon Knight is, you know, but I am very glad. <laughs> I like how the, 
The subtle yeah. dig there. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Moon Knight is like you want the Moon Knight. Here's your here's your no. Moon Knight. Well, you know, I here mean, you I want your superpowers. Be, yeah. Let me get let me be di- uh, dismissive about Tokyo Vice in the same way. Yes. Uh, Tokyo it. Vice is 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 like there's a there's a white dude who learned Japanese. <laughs> what? <laughs> this guy's amazing. Wait a minute. You can write Japanese too? <laughs> Meanwhile, literally everyone else in the shot probably speaks English as well as Japanese. Mm-hmm. All the Japanese people probably also learned English as just part of their normal life of growing up in Japan, had to learn English. I will but I will put this dude, out there, Jeff. I will put this out there. My understanding is the Japanese in Tokyo Vice way better than the Mandarin Chinese in Moon Knight, which is completely well, I, incomprehensible. Would, yeah. would, not, uh, would not compare them. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the comparison I'm making. Let's uh, talk about the Egyptian cast of Moon Knight, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying that the, the entire first episode of Tokyo Vice is mm-hmm. Ansel Elgort plays this dude. This dude. Who White dude amazing. who's taller than everybody else. He's amazing. Why is he amazing? Every single scene is about showing you how amazing he is. Well, he's he's yeah. doing things that no one else would do. He's do he's doing something everyone turns him in. Wow. You and and what is the thing he's doing? Learning Japanese. Well, Jeff, uh, if you let me finish, the second <laughs> half of my review is Ansel Elgore is clearly the weakest part of this show. And it's a shame <laughs> because it, it does lean so much into the sort of like white guy uh, being so different, right? He's hired at this major newspaper because like, I've never really had a foreigner uh, apply here, but that could be interesting. That could be different for us. Um, I think Elgort it gives me, um, I don't think he's a particularly charismatic actor. Like we've seen him in West Side Story. Yes. He's fine. He's Baby also Driver. a uh, sex pest is my understanding. Yeah, kind of a sex so. pest. Like there are all those allegations against him now. Uh, there are so many things that are like just taking away points from any love I'd have for Ansel Elgort. So I wish somebody else started in the show and I kind of wish this show is based on like some like a, an actual journalist who went to Japan and, you know, started reporting in the crime industry. So it's like it is maybe a little too self-aggrandizing for this one right, white reporter who was like in Japan and there weren't really many back then in the nineties. Um, so that is certainly, you know, not great. And I, I am totally like, I'm typically very uh, turned off by any show that tends to do that. Um, I think the style of it and Ken Watanabe, like it's really just the first episode gives you a glimpse of Ken Watanabe. Uh, the following episodes, like um, I think you get more from him and i like uh like i like the setting i like the crime stuff like i I like the intrigue going on here um but yeah Uh, everything you said is true jeff uh it's a shame it is a shame that that is basically the template of the show uh i still find it very watchable all right that's tokyo vice it's on hbo max devendra enjoyed it jeff did not jeff hit us with a couple things you've been watching well i watched the bubble you guys yes this is the new uh, Judd Apatow movie on Netflix, right? That is correct. Judd Apatow, star-studded. Yes. Amazing. Uh, comedy. Uh, the bubble, of course, referencing the thing that many of us put ourselves in over the last several years in COVID. This is the story of uh, big, famous actors making a trashy action franchise film during COVID. And I'm here to tell you, I watched all of the bubble. 
Uh, so you don't have to. <laughs> I and lasted 10 minutes, Jeff. I, <laughs> I, I walked, I walked away from the bubble. The yeah. bubble is the movie you think Don't Look Up is. Mm. <laughs> it's bad. It's not good. I think Don't Look Up is the movie I think Don't Look Up No, look Don't up Look is. Up. But don't Look Up the, is, the movie. Is, the bubble is the movie <laughs> for you that I think Don't Look Up is. Uh-huh. Right. That, yes. I'm always only speaking for me because that's the only person I can speak for. But from my perspective, uh-huh, uh-huh. the bubble, what you, the way you describe yes. Don't Look Up, which yes. I find inaccurate and not, not reflective of how I experienced mm-hmm. yep, that movie. Yep, but yep. the way you describe Don't Look Up is the way I experienced the bubble. It is a movie full of famous people whose work I like in other contexts, just inexplicably doing this, (laughs) you know, Uh Um, uh there are, I will be generous and say there are two or three moments in this movie where I laughed. Um, There is one character in particular. Oh, I should pull up the IMDb find uh this actor's name there's one character i think the name you're looking for is david Duchovny. he hasn't been around recently definitely not (laughs) Um, peter serafinowitz i don't know samson ko not an actor i'm aware of harry Uh, trevaldwin as gunther (laughs) yes harry trevaldwin very funny i i've not seen this actor before hilarious hilarious uh bright bright future i don't know i mean what, what has he done before uh, the he king. was in very the, little. He was in the king, yeah, and that's it. That's basically. it. The king, so the this, Netflix yeah, movie, the is, king, which I actually enjoyed. But yeah, this mm-hmm. dude is going to be a big, big comedy star. Mm-hmm. He's very funny, mm-hmm. very, very funny. Um, the rest of this movie is garbage, <laughs> utter <laughs> garbage. And there are lots of people I like in it, and I don't understand. And I, I like Judd Apatow movies most of the time. Uh, Pedro Pascal is in this movie. Keegan-Michael Key is in this movie. Uh, it, it is, they are all dreadfully unfunny and uninteresting. There's one little subplot of a, a, a romance that Pedro Pascal has with this woman who like won't, won't let him be a womanizer, like <laughs> makes him genuinely fall in love with her and commit to her in a very profound way. That is clever. But the entire movie is it, it is it is embarrassing. It is it feels like some in joke that I haven't been invited into. That's not actually funny. It mm. it feels so masturbatory and bad. And it I mean literally all the things that you complained about. Don't look up. Like it, it felt like it was you know so on the nose and so pandering and talking about this thing that we all lived through in a way that is just obvious and reductive mm-hmm. and unnecessary that's the bubble so right. do not watch the bubble it is very very bad but keep an eye out for harry trevaldwin because i think that that guy is going to have a big future that is the bubble and it is on netflix right now and jeff you and i both had a chance to watch rothaniel on hbo max right yeah i'm a big jared carmichael fan uh this is uh jared carmichael's new stand-up special um, is it? It's true. <laughs> um, I I don't like. I, I will say. I think this it's, is a it's, really it's Jared Carmichael's televised therapy session. Yeah, I, I think this is an extraordinary piece of work. I think saying it's a stand-up special, I feel like sets the wrong expectation. You know, like well, I mean, that's I, I, I know that's, that's how it's like marketed listed. and stuff like that. But yeah. like, 
Uh, for me, it's like a, a really incredible, as you said, combination of uh, public therapy session and storytelling, basically. I right? think it is, um, I also think it is extraordinary in a certain sense. I, f- I found it not particularly watchable mm. um, because I don't, I'm not particularly interested in watching someone go through therapy live in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it, I felt like I was watching something I shouldn't be and it didn't, it didn't feel artful. There are moments of brilliance and there are moments of uh, humor and, you know, in another context, I don't know. I, I just found it to be, um, there's a thing I believe in, which is get on stage and tell the truth. But this did not feel like an artful telling of the truth. It felt like a, I hate to use this term, but it felt self-indulgent. And um, I, I, I did not, I don't think I enjoyed it, uh, but I'm curious mm. what you thought, Dave. Well, first of all, uh, as Devinder pointed out off mic, I guess um, yeah. it's it's Gerard Carmichael. I don't know if he goes by Jerry. I think is that the, like a what? short, but it's what? Gerard. Yeah, I never said anything other than Gerard. Okay, I think I misheard. I, I was hearing Jared. Yeah, I heard. I heard Jerry. As I well, heard Jared but... multiple times. That's anyway, all. Gerard. Oh. Yeah. Um, all yep. good. Uh, I apologize I this... if I said that. I, I I know his name is Gerard Carmichael. I thought that's what mm-hmm. I said. I, I think it's a. Uh, I, I thought you'd love this, Jeff. I think it's really compelling. Yeah. Um, yeah it feels like catnip for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, I just, it, it, it's just it, someone yeah. getting on stage and being real. But I didn't... And I think for the for, for the first time, too, like in a, in a way that I've always liked this comedy, but this felt revelatory because uh, he makes some important, uh, you know, announcements here. And I, fe- I felt that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I... Um... And it was directed yeah. by Bo Burnham, too. And I think what's interesting about it is, like, mm-hmm. a lot of the storytelling plays... Again, I don't even think of it as stand-up special. I think of it as more of a storytelling. Yeah, but there's yeah. two there's two remarkable things about it, okay? Number one is a lot of the uh, show plays out in long, in uninterrupted takes. A lot of times you watch a stand-up special, there's, like, tons of cutting, right? And it's just, like, long, uninterrupted takes where you kind of sit with the emotions. Number two is the way in which Gerard Carmichael engages with the audience is very unique. Like the mm-hmm. way that they kind of join in with him in the therapy session is unique. I haven't seen I, anything like it before, right? I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's authentic. Yeah, you think it's like set up in some way or something? I do. Like that? Yeah. And I, I I have nothing to base that on. Yeah, but it, feel, it but feels I, inauthentic to you. It mm-hmm. feels inauthentic. Yeah. It feels like plants in the audience mm-hmm. uh, calling out stuff because it's just so... On the nose, it's, it feels and, very it, calibrated to accomplish yes. something, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. and and even if that's not the case, which I, it very well may not be, I don't have anything evidence to base that on. The fact that it feels like that to me is a bit off-putting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, I totally understand. Totally understand. Um, well, that is uh, Rothaniel Devinger. It sounds like you liked it about as much as me. Yeah, I th- I loved it. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was very, very good. Again, not I didn't laugh very much. I chuckled a couple times, but it's a powerful piece of work. Um, so I liked it. I, that said, I totally understand your reaction, Jeff. Like I, you know, if I was in a different mood, I might feel that way as well. So I um, yeah. really mm-hmm. like him as a as a comedian, as a performer. I think he's extremely talented. I mm-hmm. thought he was great on Saturday Night Live. I thought his 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 stand up. Uh, monologue at the beginning of Saturday Night Live was great. Yeah. I, I, I've frequently love his stuff. Um, I just, it, and, and there's a lot of moments in it that are really powerful and I'm not going to deny that. 
uh, or, or I don't want to take anything away from that. I think it is a very powerful, it's a, it's a powerful thing that he is doing. Um, but it, I, I didn't feel like it should be for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that's, uh, Gerard Carmichael's Rothaniel. It's on HBO max right now. We'd like to take a moment to thank the world of microdosing, specifically microdose gummies, our sponsor. You've probably heard about the idea of microdosing, you know, as a way to boost creativity or, you know, deal with anxiety. Microdose gummies give you, you know, a tiny dose of things like THC and CBD to help you just feel good and relaxed. Um, I typically use CBD, uh, you know, back when I was flying or or really whenever I was just dealing with any super stressful situation. Uh, juggling two kids right now, sometimes it is nice to have a quick way to just relax and wind down a bit. If you've got any questions about microdosing, you should talk to your doctor. But personally, I've just found it to be really useful in many different ways. It's helped me come up with writing ideas and other concepts. And, you know, it's just a nice way to drown out the noise of the world just a little bit. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdose THC, just do a quick search online or go to microdose.com and use code FILMCAST to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com and code FILMCAST. Typically, we do some weekly plugs, but uh, we actually got to go. We got to get to a review of everything, everywhere, all at once. This is Wang. This is Wang. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. Now, you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. What's happening? I'm another version of one from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. Uh, no time to help you. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. You can access all their memories, their emotions, even their skills. That was from the trailer for Everything Everywhere All at Once, the newest film by The Daniels. I'm going to read the plot summary for this movie on IMDb. Quote, an aging Chinese immigrant is swept up in an insane adventure where she alone can save the world by exploring other universes, connecting with the lives she could have left. I'm sorry, she could have led. I apologize. End quote. Mm. Uh, Joining us today for our review of Everything Everywhere All at Once. Folks, I am not prone to, I think you'll all agree, I am not prone to hyperbole. I never exaggerate. Uh-huh. Right, on this podcast, I ne- I'm never. Always ex- in never, the history never, of time, ever. have you exaggerated? Never ever in, in the history of mankind. But the person joining us today has written probably the best review of everything, everywhere, all at once that exists on the internet. His name is Walter Chaw, <laughs> and he's a film critic for Film Freak Central. Walter Chaw, welcome back to the podcast. Well, holy, holy cow! Yeah. Well, thank you. I would agree with that, by the way. Yeah. Oh man. Well, thank you very much. Good enough for Barry, Best Picture Award-winning director Barry Jenkins to tweet about it and uh, <laughs> point out. Uh, my wife cried twice reading this review. Oh, I'm very sorry. 
It's a very good review of everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, and if you haven't if you haven't checked it out, you should check out Walter's review of this movie. It's incredible. It's incredible. But uh, let's talk about the movie itself. We're going to talk very generally about the movie. We're going to try not to spoil anything. Then we're going to get deep into it. But Walter Chaw, tell us overall thoughts. What did you think of everything, everywhere, all at once? Um, I, 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 I didn't like it. No, I, no, I, lo- <laughs> I, 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 I loved it. I think it's um. You know, I felt really seen by it in a way that I, I very, maybe never have quite felt seen before in, in a film made in the United States. Not to this extent. I mean, you know, we are so, I'm so hungry for uh, uh, moments of recognition in film mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, if you say Maymay in Rogue One, I'm crying for weeks and months and years now. I'm still mm-hmm. crying about that because, you know. Maymay means sister in Chinese for those who it, don't know. It, it, it means little sister, yeah. And, and you know, there's a, a you know, a, one of the uh, bays uh, says it to uh, – to to uh, the the uh, main character, I, 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 I've I, I've shunned Star Wars for my life, so I don't remember any of the characters' names anymore. But <laughs> at, at sort of a key moment in the film, he says that to you know this little white girl, and it's it's this moment of like family and recognition. But but I mean, I'm so hungry for um, uh, some re- recognition in, in my home cultures culture that even that little bit, that little bit of kindness. Uh, was enough to sustain me for years, you know, and more often you just get stuff like licorice pizza or whatever, you know, but, you know, for, so, so if you have just a little bit, just a little morsel, man, I, I felt fed, but here's this film that this is, is like this a is, Thanksgiving buffet. This oh my is. goodness. Yeah. It's, 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 it's sort of like a, one of those Roman gorge buffets, you know, it's like, it, it is, um, it, 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 it's, it, it's, there's a scene towards the very end of it where, you know, I won't give anything away. Where the uh, Kihei Kwan uh, a character uh, who, who plays the the uh, the the husband of the aging Asian woman, whatever the IMDb, uh, he plays M- Michelle Yeoh's husband. He says, you know, because they're having an argument with their daughter, and he and she's saying some hurtful things, and he says "biaswala," which in Mandarin means, you know, stop saying it, don't say yeah. that. Yep. And my and there was a, one key fight. You know, I, I fought with my parents my entire childhood. All right. I mean, starting from third grade on, I think it was not, not a happy scene. And there's one moment, I think I was 16 or 17 years old. It was a really knockdown, painful fight. I, I don't think our family had ever recovered from it actually. And I got up and I left the house and, you know, usually I didn't do that, but I left the house and I got in the car and before, you know, that all happened, I, I stood up and my dad said that, and he never stood up for me. But in that moment, he said to my mother, Biasola, don't say, don't talk anymore. Don't say this stuff anymore. It was the only time that I remember my dad speaking up for me when I needed him to. And it was hearing that in a movie, seeing that in that scene in a movie, my life on screen, it devastated me. You know, and it's a movie that I think would probably just kind of, go, it's a moment that'll go over, yeah. you know, most people's heads, you know, but Using that and, and the term that she uses in Mandarin, uh, Sinjing Bing, me- meaning crazy. Literally, it means like a, uh, a an illness of of your brain nerve. Okay, that's what my mom said to me all the time because she she was so irritated with me all the time. And it, it's like the, there's all of these little things in this film. In, in addition to it being a technical marvel, it's edited brilliantly. It's really a big unwieldy science fiction concept that they make really kind of great and fluid and lovely but in addition to all of those things are these little cultural moments that uh, you know i i've never seen 
on screen in an American film ever before. And it, it was, it, it made me feel, you know, this is corny and I, I, I'm a lot more hyperbolic than Dave ever gets, but I, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it made me feel maybe for one of the few times I've ever felt it welcome in this, in, in this culture. It made this, my home culture, the culture that I was born in, the only culture I've ever known. It finally made it feel like somewhere I was welcome. And that's an, that's an extraordinary thing to say about a movie. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, it, it really isn't. But I mean, because we, we all love movies here, right? We, we, we believe movies can change the world and mean something to people and save lives and all of those things. But, you know, I've never really experienced this like this. And so, you know, that's where the review kind of came from is this, you know, I need, I need to, I, n- I never understood my parents' story as a love story that they loved each other and they came here and it was scary and mm-hmm. they, they gave up everything to come here and they gave up everything to uh, give their themselves a future and their kids a future. I, I always saw it as an immigrant story of all the hard work and the pain and the broken family. I never understood it as a love story until I watched this movie. And now I understand my parents' story as a love story. And I understood that my parents loved me and that's not something that I could understand on my own. Uh, and so I really needed the conversation with art with, with this art to, 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 to do so. I mean, I, I never engaged with Amy Tan this way. I never engaged with, with, with any of the other stuff. This did it for me. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's where I am with this movie, I guess. Yeah. I'll just add a couple quick things and then I want to hear from Javindra about it. But uh, yeah, there is this ultra specific sort of immigrant milieu that this movie captures mm-hmm. right from the opening shot where you see the inside, like the inside of this, uh, their house, they live above yeah. this laundromat. That dining and, table looks very familiar. And yeah. there is just shit everywhere. Like every conceivable surface that something can be placed on, there is stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed the Daniels for Culturally Relevant podcast, and he was saying how this very much recreates kind of the uh, uh, the restaurant from his youth. And um, I think like one side of his family does restaurants, the other side laundromats, if I, if I recall correctly. And um, there's this mentality among immigrants of like, being used to not having very much, right? And right, like, right. and so anything you have, you like feel like you need to hold on to, you know, like you cannot let it go. You cannot throw it away. I remember my dad kept a VCR for years and after the DVD era, you know, like, and it was my a broken still one. still has his VCRs. It was a broken one. And my dad's like, one day I'm going to fix this thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's and, no minimalism. Right. For, There's for no mix- some immigrant maximalism. culture. Right. Exactly. Because you're coming from having nothing. Yes. So. Exactly. Yeah, minimalism is not trendy. Yeah, in that yeah. Respect. And, yeah. And and so it's just this this idea of like just just capturing that just the setting felt extremely powerful to me. And I'll also just say Walter I left this movie and I was like this is possibly my favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. And I was like I I don't know if anyone else is going to like it. <laughs> I'm like this is so specific. I I know for a fact that it's made for me. But I don't know if anyone else is going to like it. And it's just been so gratifying to see a movie that we can connect with on such a deep level that other people also like. You know, um, That's been really amazing to witness as well. Well, so. well, well all, all of this pain, all of these little incidents, all of these things that we've internalized, kind of it thought, I thought that it, that was just me. I thought I, that my experience was unique mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the real beauty of being of, re- of representation when you do it well, is that you can communicate to a broad, um, broad body of, of lonesome individuals and, and, and reassure everybody at the same time that 
no, I got you. You know, you have more brothers and sisters than you think in this. And, 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 you know, I always thought my sister will be the only person that will ever understand what I went through, what we went through. And even my sister wouldn't understand. She's seven years younger than me. And she had very different parents than, 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 than I had. Even now there's like a difficulty in communicating with each other about our parents because she had one set of parents and she saw how much I, I, I hurt them. Then I had a different kind of parents and I saw how much they hurt me. And so finding out that you have this really large family in the diaspora makes us less of a diaspora and more of a community. And it's, it's astonishing that there's had not been more of this, but even as I hear you guys talking about it, you know, you talk about, there's no minimalism in the, it, you know, look at this movie, everything, everywhere, <laughs> all at once. Indeed. Yep. It, it's telling that story in a maximalist fashion. Yes. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, there's this great line from Elliot in the wasteland where he talks about, you know, the, these are the fragments I shore against my ruins about the, you know, the poet collecting all of these pieces from culture to shore against the ruins of, of who he is. And I look around at, at my shelves and my action figures and, you know, all the shit that I have hung up around the house. You know, all of these things are the things that I use so that in this desperate hope that, you know, my guests will know who I am on the inside, that there are all these explosions of me from the, you know, from inside out. And they never do, you know, it's never satisfying. But here's everything everywhere. And it's like, yeah, you know, my parents owned a series of tourist trap uh, uh, souvenir stores, and my dad was a silversmith, and I grew up my entire life in those places. Uh, and our whole lives were around the business and hating our customers and being tied to it and fearing taxes and fearing ever, you know, fearing collapse at any moment, physically or economically. What happens if dad dies? What happens if mom gets hurt? Who's gonna rock? Who's gonna watch the store? You know, this movie captures all of it. All of it is, is, you know, I actually heard from uh, Daniel Kwan, one of the Daniels, and he said to me, he's like, you know, you know, you saw your family in my film. I see my family in your writing, you know, and it's like, that's, that's right. This is how we should be Mm -hmm. communicating, but we don't get to communicate this way very often (laughs) in this culture. You know, the, the way that we communicate to this culture is sort of occasionally the shared outrage about licorice pizza or the, <laughs> the, uh, you know, or, or not, or, or not, we, not, not particularly yeah. shared by the way, but yeah, no, well, yeah, not, 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 not by white folks who really love it, but, <laughs> but, but then there's the, the, uh, you know, and I just saw the whitest movie that's ever been made tonight, by the way. So man, you know, I came out of that. I wonder great. which one you're talking about. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's white. It is so white. You talk about rice being white. You have no idea what's white. Um, Anyway, He's uh, about the yeah. Man, by the way, but anyway, yeah, yeah it's the yeah. yeah. <laughs> but culturally okay. appropriate, you know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> very, very powerful, Walter. Thank you for sharing, um, Devendra. Your thoughts on everything, everywhere, all at once? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you guys, you certainly have your perspective too, and I, I fully appreciate that. I'm coming at it from you know my immigrant family as well, and I just my family never owned any businesses or anything, um, but the mentality right of the sort of like intergenerational violence going on in this movie and the struggle and just people just not really knowing how to communicate with each other like this movie captures so much and it's more than just the immigrant thing too like i i have loved michelle yo ever since i saw her you know ride a motorcycle onto a moving train yes I was like <laughs> yes yes i will love you forever I'm very in, glad in that Jackie Chan super cop that was in super uh, cop. Yeah. C- came out like 20, 30 years ago, I think at this point. Yep. Yeah. 
I saw that on the bootleg VHS and yeah. I was like, yes, I will follow her to the ends of the earth. Incredible. And incredible. Incredible. And now watching this movie where she, I think she finally gets a chance to shine in many ways. Um, yeah, she kicks butt in this movie, but she is a tremendous actor. And I, I was starting to see myself in things she was doing too. Like I, uh, guys, I am two weeks into having a new baby, right? Like my, my whole family dynamic is all, being reassembled right now and being rebuilt a little. And I, you know, I, I could see myself in her character in terms of like how she is sort of like just so kind of detached a little bit or just so busy trying to like get things done where she may be losing a bit of herself or humanity towards her people. And it's like, Oh no, I don't, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to be this uh, immigrant parent who is maybe yelling too much at their kid. And I don't, I definitely don't try to do that. Um, but I'm, I'm cognizant of like every time I have to like raise my voice for any reason for my daughter, because I don't want to repeat certain things happening here. And this movie is entirely all about understanding, you know, we'll, we'll get into spoilers and stuff, but I, there, there is such a great life philosophy in this film. There is such a great way of viewing the world and trying to make sense of really all the bullshit of life. And I think it does it in a beautiful, in a beautiful, like romantic and poignant way. So, yeah, I, I love this movie completely. Um, I'm so glad Michelle Yeoh finally has this chance. I'm, everybody is fantastic here. Like, Ki Hui Kwan, incredible to see him back, like, in a major role. Um, I haven't seen Stephanie Shu in many things, but she is very good. Yeah. As the daughter here, James Hong, whenever James Hong appears in anything, I'm like, yes, clap. And this is a batshit movie for him to really shine. You know, I kind of love that there that he is even in here. So I, I love this movie from top to bottom, but it is more than just like a wild sci-fi premise to me. Like it is deeply moving. It is a movie that could shift your life philosophies. Um, I think it's incredible. So, yeah. Jeff Kanata. Your thoughts on everything, everywhere, all at once. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on everything, everywhere, all at once are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Hmm. Okay. Despite the fact that every time Walter comes on, I'm like, this is just, I feel like a clown. <laughs> he's, so, for us. <laughs> he's so, he's so eloquent. And, and, and I'm like, I have some of the words in my thing rhyme. Uh, okay. Here we go. Ready? Here's the limerick. There are verses where my review pans this movie and somewhere we're fans. But in this timeline, I think it's sublime. Oh, and also I have sausage hands. <laughs> Lovely. Nicely done, um, Jeff. Nicely done. I, 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 this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, it immediately uh i walked out of it and i texted you dave yes. i was like you're like holy I, fucking yeah. shit that is movie this is the best movie ever made yeah. yeah um and you know despite the fact that i you know i'm uh, one generation removed from immigrant family um i obviously don't have the same cultural touchstones that you guys have so eloquently um enumerated but i I think this is a hallmark of great art that it also speaks to me profoundly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and my way into it was parenthood because uh, fundamentally this is a movie, uh, you know, f for me about 
how having children, I mean, it's a movie in a lot of ways about the things we give up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for family uh, and how having children requires incredible compromise. And I I was so moved by that notion of, you know, Dave, you and I have talked a lot in the past about, uh, privately, about um, uh, failure, you know, and I find it to be a very fascinating concept. And this is a movie about a person who is uniquely in the position to save the world because she is has nothing going for her, right? The, the premise is you all of your failures, all of the fa- the fact that you have done nothing spectacular with your <laughs> life puts you in a prime position to be the savior of the of the multiverse. And that notion, while, you know, it's sort of uh, funny and novel and interesting, is also, I think, really moving. And, and ultimately, it, it becomes this kind of deep analysis of w- the decisions we make in our lives and how life continues regardless of how those pan out. And sometimes we, you know, we, and especially on the other side of having children, which requires such sacrifice and such uh, a setting aside of the things that you might want for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, It's a profoundly moving experience to make that journey and 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 see all the different versions of yourself because every person has has thought about that like if, oh, if I'd done something else different if I'd said that one thing at the party to the one person who could have gotten me the job at the thing or if I had just done the, this different or you know stayed in school or whatever it is what might have been and this movie is all about that 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 life you know, everything everywhere all at once that in, encapsulates everything that we might be, could have been, are. But also, it's one of the most kick ass sci fi movies, hilarious comedies. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's literally has everything you could want out of a movie. Mm-hmm. It has got the title is ca- appropriate. Yes. yes. Everything. It's got great characters. It has got incredible action sequences. I was barrel laughing, holding my stomach, laughing at this movie. And yeah, things I mean, you like, have never seen before. Yeah. Yes. Just joy. It's a joyous experience. It is. I was crying at the end. I mean, it literally gives me every emotion I could request from a cinematic experience. It is thought provoking. It is, you know, mind altering. And it feels like these filmmakers, I, the only thing I was able to compare it to, was like walking out of the matrix the first time I saw the matrix yeah, well, yeah. as a, yeah, yeah, as a yeah. young person. It's like th- these filmmakers are kind of working on a level that nobody else is even attempting. It, it, it's just this moment where they are in complete control of this experience. They know exactly what they want. Their vision is so perfectly executed that you just go, I'm, I'm in the presence of something. This, this movie is this beautiful gem that just works on every single level. And I mean, I, you guys have said it better than I have, but I will heap my praise on it as well. I, I think it is it is a movie that I I won't stop telling people to go see. I hope it I hope it has huge you know huge box office and long legs, and and everybody goes to see this and understands what a special thing it is because yeah. it's one of those feel it feels like a movie that comes along like once in a generation. Yes, mm-hmm. O- mm-hmm. only a few times in a generation does a movie like this come along. Right, um, The Matrix is a great 
comparison, I would say Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Like, that's how I felt in the theater watching this movie. Yeah. These are, uh, they've described themselves as maximalist filmmakers. And what that means in this case is uh, they use all the components of film working in concert together. Um, And in particular, when it comes to like editing. Uh, and because this movie needs to cut between different multiverses and the way in which it does it is so, um, thrilling and exhilarating. Mm -hmm. I I watched like all the breakdowns. I obviously talked to the Daniels as well. And, uh, and one of the things that they were talking about was like when they're cutting between locations and universes, they don't even want, like you, they understand your mind is barely comprehending what's happening, right? Like when you're watching them match cut between two things. You, you barely even are recognizing what is occurring on the screen. Um, and it, it what, what the, the end result is that the emotional reaction transcends comprehension. It is visceral. It is emotional, right? It is like something that you're, you, you don't even understand what's happening on an intellectual level, but you, you kind of understand it on an emotional level. And that's really special when a film can do that, right? When it's like beyond comprehension, but it is like you you get the sense of what it's trying to convey, which is fear or terror or joy. You just kind of, or, you know, something extremely powerful and poignant. You get it. And I think, you know, Walter's already talked about the themes of the movie a little bit. And Jeff, you've talked about like how, you know, just it's, it's just a really fun time, but it's also just like a technical marvel. Yes. It looks like, it, you know, I, I I was curious, like how would they, how would they possibly plan this out? Because there's just <laughs> mm-hmm. some things where it's like you have to plan, like it, it must you you're shooting yeah. one thing one week, and then you know you're gonna cut to a thing that you're shooting six days later, and then another thing you're shooting three days after that. You know, like how could they possibly do it? And it's just because they're thinking on another level. They just understand implicitly how film works, how editing works, and how to create the reaction that they want. And they know to like grab certain shots when they're on set. They're like, let's get this shot, you know? And like maybe it's going to come in handy in the edit, and usually it does. And the end result is just, yeah, something that just is unlike anything else you've seen before. So, yeah, you know, you, know. You, 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 you see a te- technical marvel, but I want to be very clear, you, you know, with, with, with our audience that it's not be, it's not like a technical marvel in the sense of the matrix or Terminator two, when they came right, out, right. you know, it, it's, it's almost like a kitchen sink kind of thing where <laughs> it's, it's almost like a Buster Keaton film mm-hmm. in a lot of ways where you're like, how did they make this so great without, yeah. you know, without, Billions of dollars, you know, and, and all the resources of, of the MCU, you know, you know, how, how does this movie so much more interesting than anything else that we've seen in 10 years? Well, it, it's very uh, Stephen Chow too, like that yeah. by Stephen that Chow. Absolutely. Yes. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and the movie I really was, you know, oh, by the way, congratulations, David. I didn't know. Oh, thank you. That's thank fantastic. You, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. everything is, everything is different now. All the, all the cliches are true about having a yep. movie. But um, you know, I I I would say that the movie that this most reminded me of as I was watching it, the, the American movie, is uh, e- Eternal Sunshine mm-hmm, of the yeah. Spotless Mind. Yeah. And their first film, Swiss Army Man, also reminded me of a Charlie Kaufman film in the sense that you know, Charlie Kaufman movies don't necessarily cost a lot, you know, and you know, sometimes the artifice is the point. You know, there, there's like a raccoon effect and and everything everywhere that is perfect and perfectly janky. You know, it is not. Mm-hmm. It's not a Pixar animation, you know. It's like it's the puppet, and it's ridiculous, and it's awesome. It's perfect, um, but you know, it reminded me of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind because of its 
heart, <laughs> you know, because the the science fiction concept, all of the bells and whistles, all the kickassness that's there, um, is telling the story, is telling character, is there for a point. You know, there, there's a reason people are appearing and disappearing. There's, you know, and the moments that have stuck with me afterwards are the moments where people are touching each other on the cheek, mm-hmm. are the moments where it slows down for a minute. And, you know, someone who wants their marriage to work out sees an older couple, you know, who could be the reflection of them if they could only mm-hmm. figure out how to stay together. Mm-hmm. Those are the moments, those are the moments, the seconds uh, out of the totality of this dazzling uh, film. That I don't think is you know hard to follow at all. I don't know what people are talking about, but you know because the emotional through line is so true in it. You know to everyone's point, and I'm just kind of uh, parroting everyone what everyone else is saying. But you know it really reminded reminds me of a Charlie Kaufman in that sense, where it has such insight into humans and human interactions that it and, and then it kind of teases them out by just being a little tiny bit uncanny. Mm-hmm. You know, satire in the best way, right? It like makes it a little bit uncanny, but like the best satires or whatever, it has its basis in experience. In fact, it, it starts at a place where, you know, this couple is in trouble because they don't love each other in the way that they thought they were going to love each other. Like a, like a long car, Y movie, which this movie also sort of addresses. Right. Amazing. And, but, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. But in everything, everything. And, 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 and this is true with the end of eternal sunshine as well, where, you know, I think, I don't know if I should spoil that movie, but I mean, essentially what eternal sunshine says at the end of it, is the same thing that, that that this movie says is like you know life is complicated and life is about failure and life is about falling down and life is about being disappointed to other people and and, and 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 being disappointed by other people sometimes and pain and loss and 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 then it's punctuated all of this you know trudge of misery is punctuated by these moments of joy and grace and magic the first time you heard your baby cry uh, uh, you know, that mm-hmm. it's punctuated by that. And if we're not able to live in those moments, there's no actual reason to live at all. That the, y- you have to figure out mm-hmm. how to find and recognize those moments and to live there when they happen. And you know, there, there, there's a line in this movie that murders me where uh, the, the Akihi Kwan character says in another timeline, he says, you know what? You're telling me that you here. Know, let's uh, let's save that yeah, for the spoilers. Yeah. Let's okay. Save I'll save spoilers. it for spoilers. But, yeah. but, but, but anyway, let, yeah. Let, let's that, get to spoilers soon. Uh, there is one other thing I want to say, uh, which is uh, the visual effects uh, workflow for this movie is very unique. Um, mm-hmm. And I talked a little bit with the Daniels about this again in my in my interview with them. But basically, they um, when you look at the visual effects section in the credits for a movie like. Avengers Endgame, right? It's like thousands and thousands of people. And I think for this movie, uh, there are over 600 visual effects shots that were made by around seven people, which is incredible. All these people were like self-taught. They worked with the Daniels before. They're friends with the Daniels. One of them, by the way, is in the chat room right now listening to this conversation. Um, Amazing. One of the people who worked on the visual effects of this movie. Um, And... uh, Ethan Feldblau, uh, Feldbau is in the chat right now, and, and he was one of the visual effects artists in the movie. And uh, I, in talking with him, it's like they wanted to do it a different style. They wanted to like um, do it in a way where they could like dive in, work on the pro- like work with the project files, tweak things. This this truly is kind of to me like the full realization of what a DIY type film can be. I know mm-hmm. the movie's mm-hmm. budget is reportedly around $25 million. So like, it's not like you could completely DIY it, but like 
uh, it looks like, you know, triple or quadruple that amount. And I think that it's a testament to kind of this this DIY sensibility that that's why the movie feels the way it does. Um, that That's why they are able to accomplish so much with so little. And um, so I just wanted to shout out the visual effects um, I, as being really impressive, even though, again, it's just like seven seven or eight people worked on it. It's That's um, ama- an amazing fact. Yeah. Uh, and and it, you're so right that the movie looks like it cost $100 million yeah. easy. Yeah. Um, I want to piggyback on something that Walter was saying, um, because I, I think the... Uh, the Charlie Kaufman uh, comparison is is so great. It, it I think it frames the movie in a in a really interesting way for people that haven't seen it yet, um, because I think it also has that same audacity that his movies have in the sense of you know like. I'm going to do a movie that's an adaptation of this book, but the movie is about how hard it is to adapt this book, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like that kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to do a movie where the main actor is actually the actor and we go inside his head and, you know, there's like this, like, Oh, you can't do that in a movie. I've never seen anybody do that in a movie. And that's what happens in this movie over and over and over. You're just constantly going, what, what, what? I, 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 I can't believe this movie is audacious enough and confident enough to do. I've never seen Jamie Lee Curtis do that. Yeah. You know, like the, there's so many <laughs> things that happen in this movie that should be nearly impossible to convey with any clarity or any, uh, you know, I, I never, I never was unaware of where, where we were, when we were, what was happening the movie was so confident in its its storytelling; it never talked down to me. It was constantly uh, valuing my intelligence as a viewer as well, and it just it's just that special experience. We just go. I I've never seen anyone think like this and express their thoughts like this. And I think you know the Charlie Kaufman movies are, are another example of that. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's let's get to spoilers for this movie. Uh, but uh, I think the Charlie Kaufman comparison is really uh, apt, and also you know he's somebody who's created some of my favorite movies of all time as well. So yeah, same. Uh, here we go. Spoilers for everything, everywhere, all at once. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because of course you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. So much to discuss, but I'll start with this point, which is one of the things that really blew my mind about this film that I really loved is there's a moment early on in the film where uh, the main character, uh, Evelyn's daughter, Joy, wants... Evelyn to introduce her to her grandfather mm-hmm. and you know introduce her girlfriend to her grandfather as well. And it doesn't go as Joy plans. And then like there's they have this kind of confrontation where like Evelyn rushes out to the car and she wants to say something to make it better. You know, she wants to say like I'm sorry, she wants to say something to make amends. And instead she says you should really watch what you eat or, you know, you're getting fat or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. that is, so, that is just so like my mom. I'm just going to put that out there. Where, <laughs> it's a very where, specific thing. It's yeah. a very specific thing where, where every fiber of that person's being is saying, 
you should do the nice thing here. And she's just physically incapable of doing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she just Criticism can't. Criticism is the default. She yeah. wants to do it. She just can't do it. And what I love about this movie is that the criticism ties into the core theme of the film, mm-hmm. which is yep. that when you criticize someone, when you force them to think about everything that could have been, that's not what their current life is, it does induce depression. It does make things become meaningless. Everything become meaningless, which ultimately is what the villain of the film, quote unquote, the villain of the film suffers from, right? That once she comprehended all possibilities, everything, it all became meaningless. And that's like ultimately the darkness that threatens to destroy the universe. Mm -hmm. And I just loved that it tied in generational trauma to kind of this cartoonishly evil character who's like potentially not that evil after all. You know, like just, that was just such a brilliant move and I'd never seen anything like it before on screen. So anyway. Um, The the bad guy in the movie is despair, right? I mean, she, in in, in a moment, you know, this is the spoiler section, right? So we can say Say that. Say everything, say everything. The the bad guy, quote unquote, is the daughter, Joy, you know, ironically Joy, who who she has her mind opened up to all of her other possibilities at the same time. And it makes her, you know, not nuts, but despairing. You know, she sees like all of the loneliness and the sadness that are arguably we feel um, a, 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 as an immigrant culture, sometimes alien this. And she creates, you know, this sort of black hole of despair, literally, that she wants to feed herself to. But be- before she kills herself, she wants one of her mother somewhere, one version of her mom mm-hmm. to give her a reason not to. And that's incredible. That, that is incredible. It's beautiful. You know, yeah. it, it's so beautiful. It's like, now you're talking about teen depression. And it, it, it doesn't have to be like an Asian American teen. It's a, a gay teen or, uh, you know, uh, or, or, or any teen. You know, teenagers go through this stuff. And um, what happens when you are so lonesome and so alone and every possibility that you can see is darkness, is sadness. Mm-hmm. You can't see mm-hmm. any goodness in in the world you know to hang your hopes up and so you look look to your mom and all she can tell you is that you're getting fat and you should mm-hmm. watch what you eat and so how do we get better at communicating with each other and how do we begin to get to a point where we appreciate each other the, 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 the line that i wanted to talk about before was when you know the the husband played brilliantly by kia kwan i have such a such a deep relationship with the short round character but he um he says in a different alternate timeline where they're both very wealthy. They're very well off and they're tuxedos and, you know, Michelle. The Wong Kar Wai timeline. The Wong Kar Wai. I clapped. I clapped. (laughs) So good. The Kar verse. Um, (laughs) She, he says to her, you know, she said, look, I mean, it's a good thing we didn't run off together when we were kids because we would have been in this failing business. We would have been Mm -hmm. miserable. It would have been horrible. It's just laundry and taxes, man. And he says, you know what? Call me crazy, but it would have been the honor of my life to spend yeah. it with you doing laundry and taxes. That hit me so hard. Yeah. Oh God! I, I mean, I, I felt rocketed in my seat almost. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I, it's like I at the end of Eternal Sunshine, my wife and I looked at each other and we just started crying because at the end of it, they're like, "I know that we're probably going to break up, but we're going to do it anyway because falling in love is worth it." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Falling in love is worth it. You know, finding somebody that you're going to be with is worth it. It's worth yeah. it. You know, it's, you had it's worth it. It's worth it. It's kind of the movie of the moment too, right? Because you you look around, you look everywhere, 
it's just it's just bullshit and despair you know <laughs> yep. like it is it's it is hard. not great and uh, it sucks because i have a new child i'm bringing <laughs> into this world guys it's the lesson of first reformed right D- is it is it ethical to bring a child into this world that's probably going to be destroyed by um uh climate uh change i or, just i just read an article at the atlantic yeah. Uh, yeah. Opening the the article is why American teens are so sad. Opening paragraph: The United States is experiencing an extreme teenage mental yeah. health crisis. From 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26 to 44 percent, according mm-hmm. to the CDC. It's like I went even back then, even 2009, like before pre-Trump, pre-everything. It, it's yeah, we we are kind of like walking directly into potential catastrophes as a civilization as a society and it's like it is hard to feel good about much right now and high school me as well like uh, walter as you were saying like um a big lesson i learned in high school which i try to unlearn as a mature adult is that the world is bullshit but it turns out it turns out guys we can be in the middle of a pandemic right we 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 and people will still fight against the things to protect us and protect you know their fellow people from the pandemic like there's just so much going wrong right now it is hard to see light sometimes and i do like that this movie is just like you know it it accepts that everything is kind of bullshit but these moments of joy you can spark between yourselves those are the light you know don't be so bogged down by everything that you miss what's happening in front of you yeah, he, he says this, right? He says, yeah. like, you know, I'm so happy you're lucky. You think I'm naive. You think yep. that, you know, I don't understand what's wrong. And that thing, I, I, I've been on this earth as long as you have. I know how stupid things are. I know how bad things are. My courage, the way that I fight, is to not let it get to me. Mm-hmm. You know, is to appreciate the things that I have. And the moments that I'm able to do that, you guys, I am so blessed. I have everything I have ever wanted. Why do I spend so much of my time unhappy? You know, I'm sitting here in a room talking to you guys that I didn't really know before a few months ago, right? Mm-hmm. You guys are smart. You guys are sensitive. You have empathy for for each other. You, you, you let me come on and rant occasionally. <laughs> I, I have, I, I, I am so blessed. I'm not religious at all, but I am blessed. I have everything that I ever wanted. What, what right do I ever have to complain? My responsibility to other people is to be present, you know, in this and say, I'm here, I'm here, man. I'm here for you. I'm available. Uh, and I'm not going to be the sucking black hole of despair every time. You know, I mean, I I have this reputation for like knocking down bad movies or whatever. (laughs) Okay. Yes, I do that. I do that. Viciously. uh, Save it it for Morbius. Hey, look, I mean, (laughs) if if you do a racism, I have to be a little vicious, but you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, or if you have to be Coda, you know, you, you you get your Oscar, but I get to yell at you about it at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what I'll say is that, uh, you know, when a movie like this comes along, I'm going to tell everybody. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna sing it to the head, and I'm gonna tell you a lot about myself when I'm telling you about this. Yeah, and I'm gonna just gonna go out there and do it, even though it gets me hate mail. You know, it gets me people saying, "Hey, you know, who gives a sh- crap about you? Why don't you go back where you came from?" I get death threats for for reviews. I got death threats for this review, but wow. here okay. it is. Here it is. I mean, that's me. And now you know something about me, and I gave it to you, and I don't expect you to give anything back to me. But I do hope that you go see the movie. Yeah, that's it. That's what I can do. Yeah, it's the kind of movie that makes me 
thankful for art, mm-hmm. not just thankful for movies. You know, it's just like what great art can do. It can make you feel closer to humans and think about your own life. And and like Walter was expressing, realize the bad isn't as bad as you think and the good can be even better. And, and I mean, what else can you ask for from a piece of art? It's extraordinary. And also... There's fucking cool action sequences, guys. Yeah, you on know, top like, of all that. Yeah. On top of all that. Uh, okay, yeah. I mean, <laughs> amazing. Okay. First of all, let me just say in the in the live chat on YouTube, we're broadcasting live as usual. There's a lovely exchange. A listener named Jorge has said, "As a VFX artist who just graduated last year, but who's currently facing rejection day by day, I left the theater full of hope." This is so inspiring, Ethan. Ethan, the guy who worked in the movie. This mm-hmm. film is life itself. And Ethan says, "Thanks, Jorge, and don't let rejection knock you down." We may have proven you can make a movie at home, albeit slowly over two years. End quote. <laughs> they made the movie slowly over the course of two years, basically at home on using After Effects, is my understanding. And it's so, like the farm to table of movies. Indeed, indeed. Um, <laughs> there are so many cool things about, like specific things about the movie that I just kind of want to geek out about. You know, so just I'm just gonna let's just geek out about a few things about the movie. First of all, we talked about all the performances; they're all incredible. Kiwi Kwan, especially. The way he's like, I didn't appreciate it at first because I didn't even understand what was happening. Right when he's when he yeah, like changes yeah, yeah, personas yeah. in the elevator, I'm like, what the fuck yeah. is going on? Like, but then <laughs> rewatch. I watched it again. I watched the movie again, and it's just the way he's able to snap from one personality to another uh, is really amazing. Like within yeah. one shot, you know, he's able to do it, and uh, it's incredible what he does in this movie. Um, I love Jennifer Shue as as Joy, and like even just the first time Joy appears in the universe. So it is in the trailer, but she kind of like cocks her head to the, like from right to left, yeah. yeah. Oh, and you yeah. see her so popping awesome. between like five different universes until uh, she like lands in the universe that we're in in the movie. Just then, that visual flourish yes. alone, that like cock your head yes. and to dial in the universe oh, you want. It's just like such a badass concept. It's so cool. And it looks like it took you know, weeks of play. It looks like they shot yeah. it across yeah. multiple days. Sure. And it takes literally three seconds in the film. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like head to two o'clock. Cock it to three o'clock. Yes. You know? And yeah. that is the what setups in this movie are yeah, just yeah, mind boggling. That is what you know? Ebert would call like generous filmmaking that is <laughs> filmmaking. You can go back, you can rewatch it. You can freeze frame it. And you know, that's, that's that also goes for like, um, there's multiple points in the film where you see Evelyn and you flash through the different versions yeah. of her through all the different universes. Like there's mm-hmm. one of her where she's like a statue and one of where she's like a cartoon and one where she's a man. And you know, and it's yeah. just like, it, it literally is like a handful of frames and I just the mind boggles at how much work that took, all mm-hmm. just to create a sensation that lasts a few seconds yeah. in the theater. It's, it's amazing that the movie goes so so hard, and then some of the most emotionally devastating things are just two rocks. Yes, Ugh. we're we're just pointing yes, or two camera people two rocks speaking, and reading tech, or yeah. two people speaking, you know, in a Wong Kar Wai street, you know, for like yeah, yeah. Uh, two minutes. Well, you know? that takes a lot of work, but just a shot of rocks, guys. <laughs> well, just I, two rocks and do, text and the on the that, screen. Like, the yeah. fact that the googly eyes gag pays off like that. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. yes. You know, it's just genius. Yeah. And then and then like also like Rakakuni, obviously I don't I don't even need to talk about that. That's amazing, amazing. but like it's but so amazing. Uh, but also like um 
the, you know, she, there's the moment when she goes back in time and uh, like relives the the kung fu version of herself, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, that's already ama- that's already mind. I could study that sequence for months just to like understand it in its completion. But then they go back to it, and there's an alternate well, universe where her pinky fingers are super powerful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So one of my favorite things in any medium, yeah, is is the thing that appears to be a throwaway gag, yes, yes. but then is doubled and tripled down upon. Yes. The the, the, per, the perfect example that I always bring up is the character of maybe from Arrested Development. Uh-huh. Right. There right. is a throwaway joke. <laughs> calling her maybe mm-hmm. and then that's her name through the entire show mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i, I love i love that that notion of like this 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 thing that appears to be a very simple gag a very almost a flimsy gag yes we then invest a hundred percent in and see it to its conclusion yes and that is this movie? Yes, and in particular the Rakakuni thing, right? Like Rakakuni, yeah. sausage fingers, yes. all of it is 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 a goofy like, oh my god, wouldn't that be a weird universe? But then, but then the movie is sophisticated enough and <laughs> cares enough to pay off all of those universes. Yes, so you get endings, satisfying <laughs> endings. For all of those throwaway gag universes, you get to see the mm-hmm. Rakakuni. Like, I mean, it is an emotional moment when the Rakakuni thing pays off. Yeah. The Sausage Fingers world, like, I care about the relationship yeah. yes. between Michelle Yeoh and Jamie Lee Curtis. And there, there's world building within those mini worlds, right? Yes. Like, in the Sausage Fingers world, uh, we start to see, okay, they're using their feet for things. At one point, Jamie Lee Curtis's character is, like, trying to run away. It's like a very careful runaway. Like it's almost like a silly hop, <laughs> you know. And they yeah. never explain all, it. It's just like just the, yeah. just the like the mauve coloring of the whole place yeah. too. It's just like this place has like an aesthetic that goes just beyond. Like they have well, sausage they, fingers. You know? They like well, think about what it would be like to live in a universe where you have sausage fingers, right? They, yeah. Of course, you would learn how to do things with your feet. Of yeah. course, if, yeah. The, the, that universe is amazing too because they're in a love relationship with each other. They're in a yes. romantic relationship and they're working through it, and that mm-hmm. probably helps her understand Joy's relationship with her girlfriend back mm-hmm. in the regular yes. she's she's learning emotionally at the same time mm. she's learning skills she's gaining emotional uh, uh you know w- 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 with picking up you know the the chef and and raccoon cooey and carrying him you know she's learning to take on different kinds of responsibilities she's learning to carry you know a different kind of burden with mm-hmm. every one of these things one after another she's learning something and it isn't just the skills. Just the skills are awesome. They're visually dazzling, and they almost distract until later. You know, as we're talking about it now in reflection, she's learning emotionally too. She's growing through all the experiences from other people, and you know, to go all the way back to this idea about she's the the failure. She's the one that's failed. I, I think the the punchline of the film is more like she thinks that she's failed. She's the one that thinks that she's the most. She's made the worst decisions, you know. He he says that the the uh, um, um, Alpha Wayman says that. Yeah. But yeah. but in reality, he's wrong about that because she hasn't failed. She's only failed because she fails to recognize how much he supports and loves her. How much it, how great it is to have a father that's still alive, even though he's a pain in the ass. How amazing it is to have a daughter who's her own person and well, but, is a mess. That's amazing. She hasn't isn't failed. That, isn't that the lesson in life? Right? Is that yeah, totally yeah. Uh, totally every time you feel like a failure. It is. It is just a lack of perception, mm. uh, yep. and 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 that's that's one of the things that made me cry about this movie. Is like is that 
you know, it, it is, it is how we look at things. And, and, and that's true with the Evelyn character and the joy character. And you see that, you know, there's, it's their self-sabotage, their inability to sort of see the macro. And then this movie is all about showing you the macro. It's like, if you had a, a far enough view of everything, you would actually see it. And that's both the, the thing that, that perverts joy into being the villain and frees Evelyn at the same time. It's this, it's, it's so beautiful. Like everything works. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's what literally turns joy into despair. Literally. Yes, right. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and, and, and the, there's a sense too, that I got from the film that, that, that really kind of caused me to take a second look at my life and the way that I live it is to say, how short am I selling the people in my life who love me when I hate myself? <laughs> how mm. how insulting am I being to the people right. who care about me and mm-hmm. and have invested themselves in my well being when I reject that help when I refuse to get better when I refuse to get happier on a day that there's nothing going wrong and I'm just being sad how it made me want to fight harder you know on, on the mm-hmm. days that are hard and I'm going to have them and mental illness is a real thing man you know I'm not saying anything about that I'm just saying it made me want to fight harder. It, you know, it made me realize that I owe it to the people in my life and me to fight harder. It, this is a movie, you guys. <laughs> yeah. But 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 it's a movie that talks about how, you know, we're all connected in this way. We're all connected across an infinite infinity of multiverses. It matters how we treat each other. It matters how we comport ourselves. And we owe it to each other to be the best versions of ourselves. We that's it. That, that's all we got in this life. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I only have one vote. There's only so much I can control all this other stuff. But, you know, after this movie, I started donating a few bucks every time J.K. Rowling said something horrible. I was like, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. could, I could clap back and she'll never read it, but my followers will read it. They love me. I'm, instead of that, I'm just going to give $5 every single time she says something to a, 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 you know, a trans charity. Every single time, you know, uh, you know after that Oscars you know, thing, I donated to the Alopecia Fund. I'm going to try to make a difference. In a little tiny way, and I f- already feel better because <laughs> I can be bitter and I can live in this place where I'm smarter than you and I'm wittier than you and I'm going to say something super funny and it's going to really tear them down if they ever see it. Who cares, guys? I, I'll, I will still do that because I like, you know, I like the clout. <laughs> but in, a, in addition in addition to doing it, right, in addition to doing all of that, I'm going to throw a couple dollars at people who are fighting this on the ground. I'm going to mm-hmm, do something. Mm-hmm. And it, it might be very, very little, but it's if everybody does a little bit, maybe we can make actually some steps forward instead of all these steps backwards, you know. And this movie did that, you know. It made me feel like I need to show up better in my life. And mm-hmm, so, yeah. I, you know, let's take those steps. I think one of the things that the movie's trying to fight against, uh, as we've already talked about, is generational trauma. And um, and it makes it quite literal. There's a scene in the movie where uh, James Hong's character is handing a knife to <laughs> Evelyn and saying, like, you got to kill the daughter right now. It's like one yeah, less yeah, universe yeah. that she can jump into. Yeah. You know, like, just kill her off right now and, like, that'll make things a little bit better. And And it is, like, this idea of, like... There, there is this notion of passing on the trauma that your parents gave you to, to you know, your your loved ones, right? Like that is a thing that mm-hmm. feels like it is pulling at people sometimes, yeah. and because that and, that is your emotional toolkit for most people, right? right? They, right? You, you don't look beyond what you grew up with, typically. So yeah, and and if yeah. there's small ways you can not do that, yep, it can make a huge difference. 
I think. Mm-hmm. And See, the, the, there are a lot. There, there are a lot of movies from you know Asian Americans now. It just seems like in the last month or so that have been talking about generational trauma. There's Turning Red. There's mm-hmm. Amma, the, mm-hmm. the the horror yeah. film, and now and now there's this. And this is the only one of those movies that I liked because it presents a, a way out. It presents mm-hmm. a, a a a depth to the Tiger Mom character. You know, she's a full person, actual person, and not just a you know, whatever. And it doesn't, vil- it well, doesn't what, vilify the culture. What's extraordinary about this movie that my, my wife pointed out to me is uh, nine times out of 10, they make a movie like this. It's told from the perspective of the daughter character. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. it's like, yes. this is the movie that actually tells it from the perspective of the, of the aging mom. And uh, I think for that reason, it's remarkable because like you get a sense of all of the tragedy in her life and what she's mm-hmm. dealing with in a way that you don't, um, yep. and, you know, mostly sort of like Crazy Rich Asians. Like, you know, she, it's literally told from the character, of the perspective of the daughter character in Crazy Rich Asians. And Michelle Yeoh is the mom in that movie, you know? Um, so I, I think it's really bold, the, the storytelling decisions they've taken in this film. So um, anyway, any other thoughts, folks? I just want to say that, you know, there's that scene and several, it, it, it re- repeats in the film a few times, the scene where uh, um, the husband touches Wayman touches Evelyn's face mm-hmm. in the closet and she's like, pauses for a second, kind of in surprise. And and then, you know, I don't have time to, I'm very busy today. I don't have time to help you right now. Yeah. And yeah. then yeah. this is exactly how my parents showed affection to each other. You know, there'd be like, <laughs> yeah. you know, reaching out. There's, there, there, there's a really painful moment in my life that I've never talked about um, with anybody. I think I talked about it with my sister and my wife and that's it. But I, my dad was dead on a, uh, on a table in the next room in the hospital. And I didn't know he was dead when I went to the hospital and my mom pointed at the door and I went through the door expecting to see my dad and it was him in a body bag. And so I came back out and I, you know, after holding his hand for a while, I came back out and I hugged my mom and my mom pushed me away from her. And, and shook her head and then went over to her uh, cult, whatever, the full and gone people that were mm-hmm. there. And, you know, my, she had rejected every expression of love that I gave her since the time I was nine. I remember that was the last time they told me that they loved me all the way up to the day my dad died, all the way up to now my mom's about to die. That And she kept pushing me away, pushing me away. And I never forgave her for that until I watched this movie. And now I forgive her for it. And, and that's... The power of representation mm. is this, m- 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 much like what Dave was saying. You know, it's like I, this is the best movie I've ever seen. It's just must be just for an audience of one. It must just be for me. But you know, talking with us, with all of our varied backgrounds, you know, um, it's it's actually a movie for everybody because mm-hmm. it's a movie about communicating that you love the people that you love before they're yeah. gone. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and and it's like it's such a simple conceit, and everything in the movie works to tell it everything in the movie, you know, I've seen it a couple of times as well. Everything in the movie is designed to tell that one thing. And it's remarkable. And I think at the end of it, you know, that emotional powerhouse moment that you feel at the very end of it, you know, where, where Wayman is sweeping up glass and she's been un- unshackled and she looks at him literally unshackled and she looks at him and she appreciates him <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. And it's like he, he's singing a song like, yeah, after everything yeah. that's happened. Yeah, he, he's, he's and he's singing a song that I thought nobody else knew. It's a uh, Pink Martini's uh, Gongshi song, and and it's like mm-hmm. I, 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 Martini. Oh my god! And I'm like, someone else knows this song. But anyway, there's that, and then at the end of it, you know, when they go back to the IRS office, she gives them she she touches him on the face for the first time in a really gentle and loving way, and she gives him a sweet 
kiss. And he looks at her like, that's whatever happens in our audit, whatever happens in the rest of our life. This is what's important. This is what's important. There's nothing else. Mm-hmm. You know, so give your wife and give your loved ones a sweet kiss tonight, because that's all that's important is that they are there. And we won't always be there. You know, I mean, Devendra, if everything works out with your kid, they will see you die. If everything works that's, out, that, that you will, be you will outlive plan. them. <laughs> yes. yes. That's, yeah. that's if everything goes right. Yep. So our lives are tragedy in between. Have, there have to be these moments where we can just be, have a moment mm-hmm. where we recognize the people that we love as special and precious in our lives. That, that that's what this movie is about. And it's such a gift because it, you know, it gave my parents story back to me in a different way. It gave my story back to me in a different way. I, you know, I didn't, you, you never expect that from a film, mm-hmm. you know, Redcliffe before this did this in a different way for me. This movie now, as, you know, made by American filmmakers. You know, the the other analog filmmaker that I would say to this, and in addition to Kaufman, is Satoshi Kon, the great Japanese filmmaker. You know, he's the guy who could have made this movie. It would have been animated. It would have been like yeah, m- yeah. M- Millennium Actress. But, you know, he does this stuff. He does these amazing paprika, these amazing visual mind Fs of movies that tell a, 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 a stirring human story. And that's the miracle of this movie. Long after all of the hubbub has died down about it and whatever. And, you know, one last shot at all the critics that are saying this is exhausting. You guys, you know what's exhausting is listening to you whine about Asians all the time. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, well, I yeah, want to say. It, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say one last thing about this movie, um, which is. You know, I, I heard about this a little bit ago. Um, Huai Chen Bui interviewed uh, the Daniels, and it came out during that interview that um, that the filmcast was the first film podcast that uh, the Daniels had listened to when they were starting out at DreamWorks. And I, I just feel so. You're welcome, everyone. You're welcome. <laughs> I feel enormously grateful um, that. We were, you know, like, like yeah. in, in so, if in any way, in any, even the tiniest it, of infinite, it could have been that ways. spark. Like, if they, if they had never heard the show, who knows? Who knows? I if doubt, they go down I this doubt path. that we had a big impact, but like, if in <laughs> well, any we, way, we, we kept yeah. them company for a brief amount of time, you know? Yeah, yeah if we kept them cool. company for a brief amount of time, um, and they were, you know, they went on to make this film, which has now be, like um, been so moving and powerful to me. Um, and to all of us, and and has helped, like, uh, you know, just shape our perspective on life and on movies in general so much. I just feel very grateful to have been a part of it. You know, mm-hmm. that's all I'm saying. Well, I it's mean, rare. If, if you did contribute something, it's your kindness and your willingness to listen to each other. That's something, <laughs> and that's the big theme of the film. I mean, you guys don't always agree, and you argue sometimes, and but it's always done from a place of respect, and you talk it through. And that's something that we don't very, do very much as a culture. We try. Um, we don't always yeah. succeed, but we try. Yeah. We try. My no. takeaway is that they went on to make one of the greatest films of all time, and we're still doing this. <laughs> <laughs> a good a good and healthy takeaway. A good and healthy takeaway. So anyway, at the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that the Daniels made a movie. Um, okay. Stick around to hear what we'll be discussing next week. But in the meantime, guys, we're going to do weekly plugs.
weekly plugs the part of the show where we plug something else that we've been doing. Uh, Walter Chaw, you want to give a little plug out there? I wasn't expecting this. I'm not very good at this. Um, well, I, you know, there's the, there's an Australian uh, distributor called Imprint, um, and they ha- are, you know, release uh, special editions of Blu-rays and editions and stuff. And um, they asked me to do a couple commentary tracks and write uh, a few liner notes for some of their upcoming things, including the Blu-ray debut, I think, of the theatrical version of The Warriors. Uh, Walter Hill's films, and uh, and I and I recorded the commentary for it. I think the pre-orders are on sale on the imprint site now. Um, and they've also asked me to do a couple of more Walter Hill films that they have in the pipeline coming up. So uh, I guess that's it. I'm pretty excited about that coming up. And I apologize to whomever I've forgotten right now. Plug. <laughs> it's but okay. yeah, just, yeah, there's that. If this there's is not that. an Oscar acceptance speech, you just yeah, no. Thing. Well, um, I'll, I'll never be invited to that den of inequity. So. <laughs> this is my moment. <laughs> All right. Um Jeff, you want to hit us with a weekly plug? Yeah, I have uh I've started a new gig that you can watch uh, on Twitch or on NBC LX or the Peacock Network or The Zone. Uh I'm calling football games, real live professional football games uh for a football league called FCF, Fan Controlled Football. Uh we had our first tech test uh, last last Saturday in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, it was a blast. It was uh, really kind of a surreal experience that I never thought I'd be doing, and here I am. Uh, so it was it was pretty wild. I think if you tune in, you'll be surprised at, at how cool it really is. It's kind of a mashup between professional sports and video games because fans control these real live elite athletes on the field. You get to pick the plays they run uh, with an app, and they really do run the play you pick, uh, as well as literally every other decision. You decide the rules, they decided the names of the teams, the logos for the teams. Everything is controlled by fans. You made gamer real, Jeff. Amazing. <laughs> it's, tr- it's true. It's true. Uh, and uh, and I get to sit there in a luxury box like a real professional sports broadcaster and uh, comment on it uh, with a. Uh, with two other fantastic guys who uh, are much more qualified than I to do that. And uh, it's, it's extraordinary. Um, so it's Saturday, 1 PM Eastern time is uh, the first game of season two. Uh, this is the second season and uh, I will be broadcasting the first two games. Uh, they're much quicker than NFL games. They're, they're only an hour long. The clock doesn't stop. It's, it's really made for a new generation of sports fans. Uh, and it's a uh, it's it's pretty darn cool. So check it out, twitch.tv slash fcf or on Peacock or NBCLX or DAZN. Uh Vinger Hardware, I noticed you didn't put a weekly plug. My guess is you were a little I, bit busy the last week. I, I, yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. I, I, I wake up, I take the kid to daycare, I, I bottle feed the other kid until my wife can get some rest, you know. So <laughs> that that is why I'm creating. Maybe I'll have some cute Instagrams up, you know. Follow me. All right. Check him out. Check Devinger out on Instagram. I want to plug uh, my interview with the Daniels over on Culturally Relevant Podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed everything, everywhere, all at once, be sure to listen to my conversation with them. Uh, I really enjoyed conversing with them, and it was an honor. Uh, next week. Oh, I, actually, I also got to give the credits. I apologize. We did other things a little bit out of order this week. I apologize for that. Um, I do want to say as we close off, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Check out his new project, Varsity Blue. Our spoiler bumper comes from 
filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. And our weekly plugs bumper comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Next week, the summer movie wager returns. <laughs> a lot of people have been asking for this for literal years. Um, and we, I, I have not wanted to do it because uh, the COVID is a thing yeah. that's still World's happening. On fire. But yeah. uh, here's the thing is I feel like the time of like lockdowns and stuff, like no matter how bad it gets, it just feels like the lockdowns aren't coming back. Uh, and so I feel like, okay, there's probably going to be a summer movie season, whether or not it's safe. And so yeah. the summer movie wager lifts. Episode 666 of the film cast. It really yeah. is episode 666. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Nothing can possibly go wrong. Nothing can possibly go wrong. <laughs> anyway, the summer movie wager returns next week. Um, the summermoviewager.com website will be operational soon. Uh, and we are looking forward to playing again. It should be a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you later.